Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Matthew 7 and 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat upon that house, and it fell not. It was founded upon a rock. I hope that's not a weather forecast for this afternoon. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them shall be likened unto a foolish man, built his house upon the sand. Rains descended, floods came, winds blew, beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. Our houses represent our lives, our faith, our values. What are we built upon? doesn't say anything about how the houses look different. It only says that they had different foundations. Jesus needs to be the rock of your life. Can I get an amen? He needs to be the one that we trust, the doctrine that we follow, and that of the apostles that he trained. We need to stay in the apostles' doctrine. Are, are there any apostolics in the house? Amen. Are there any Pentecostals in the house? Do you still believe that God pours out his spirit upon all flesh? All right, I'm in the right place. I want to be sure I showed up at the right church today. But I want to preach to you for a little while today on the devil is in the details. The devil is in the details. You may be seated. I want to take you back to April the 6th. 1965, and I want you to hear a prophet, a commentator named Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey is going to speak to you for just a few moments. This is 50 years ago, and you're going to hear what we're experiencing today. So if you'd like to play that, If I Were the Devil, April 6, 1965. If I were the devil, I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square, and the old I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, 
churches at war with themselves and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and BFI science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want it until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what will you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. Fifty years ago. Turned out to be prophetic, didn't it? And the way that Satan does this is through the details. Genesis chapter 3. I'd like to read this to you. I think, it's, I think this is going to be an eye-opening service for many of you. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, First he checks out what you know about God and what God has said to you. He says, did God say, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. That's not what God said. He didn't say anything about touching it. He just said, don't eat it. So now Satan knows that you've added to the word of God. And so he goes a little bit further, and he says, you will not die. So the first thing he does is he lies to Eve. That's why Jesus came back later and said that Satan is the father of all liars because he told the first lie. Then he says, there's a reason that God doesn't want you to eat of this tree. Okay, let's see what he says about it. Here's the reason that God doesn't want you to eat. For God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened, you'll be as God's knowing good and evil. Here's humanism. 
all the way back in the Garden of Eden. He lies, and then he turns around and says, you should be God. You're qualified. God doesn't want any competition. He's trying to keep good things from you. He twisted the things that God said into a lie, and he deceived the details. And because she believed what he said to her, she partook of the fruit and found out that he was a liar, that they were not as gods, that they were separated from God as God had promised, and now they were ashamed. He twisted the details. How about Noah? God sees the wickedness in the earth. He decides he's going to destroy the earth with a flood. But he's got one problem, and it's only one man. It's Noah. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so God says, well, I can't destroy the righteous with the ungodly, so I've got to have a plan of salvation. And my plan of salvation is that I'm going to go to this guy and tell him how to build a ship that won't sink. I'm going to tell him that he is to preach repentance and speak against the wickedness of sin and build this ship because I am going to execute judgment. That's God's plan. He tells him how to make it in details. He tells him what kind of materials to use. But don't think for a minute that Satan didn't come and try and get Noah not to believe the detailed approach of God. Ah, you don't need go for what? Oak would work. Even pine. Why does it have to be gopher wood? Nobody's going to listen to you, Noah. How many converts do you have? Do you know that everybody's talking behind your back and making fun of you and your family, building a boat in a desert because you say it's going to rain? What's rain? We've never seen any rain. No converts. Nobody to help you. But Noah stuck to the details. Noah built the ark out of gopher wood. Noah built the ship exactly the way that it was supposed to be built. He had an attitude, I don't care what everybody else does. I know what God asked me to do. I'm going to do it God's way. If it takes me 120 years, then so be it. But I'm going to stick with the details. I'm going to do it God's way. There's a lesson for us, folks. Do it God's way. How about Samuel and Saul? Famous story. You've heard it. You can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 15. It's one of my favorite illustrations in the Bible. The man of God, Samuel, hears from God. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 15 and 1. And God says, Samuel, I want you to go and tell King Saul what I want him to do. Listen, the religious leader is above the political leader. I know this is going to sound bad, and I, I hope you don't take it the wrong way, but somebody recently said to me, they must have been greatly inspired, they said, you know, you'd, you'd make a good president. I said, I have a higher calling. 
than the presidency. And so do you folks. We have a higher calling than any politician. We've been called to minister to the souls, eternal souls of people. And so Samuel goes to Saul and says, Saul, this is what God said. God said that he remembers what the Amalekites did to his people and you are to go and genocide them. You're, go, you're gonna go and you're gonna kill every last one of them. Men, women, boys, girls, babies, animals, everything dies. Genocide them. Do you understand what I'm telling you, Saul? Yes, sir. That's what God wants, that's what we'll do. So he starts out on his journey and he comes back a little while later after he's got all of his army. And here comes Samuel. He's gonna go and he heard that Saul was back in town, so he comes to meet Saul and on his way he hears animals bleeding, making sounds that animals make. And he comes up to Saul and he said, Saul, have you done what the Lord told you to do? Well, yes sir, I did it. He said, well, then why are all these animals making all these noises that, that shouldn't be in this area? Well, the devil inspired the people. And the people got to thinking in their humanistic, psychological minds and said, these are perfectly good animals. Why are we killing Perfectly good animals. How about animal rights? Let's try that angle. PETA was born. I believe in PETA. People eating tasty animals. <laughs> oh, and if you don't like that idea, if you don't like that idea, Saul, how about this idea? Let's sacrifice their animals and save ours. We get to keep our animals. I mean, they're just animals. There's no personality involved here. So I went along with it. Big mistake. You bought the detail that Satan lied to you about. And by the way, Saul, who's this guy? Why, this is the king of the Malachites. You were told to kill him, Saul. Why is he alive? Well, you know, there's this thing called executive privilege. We have this between kings and rulers, you know. We understand that, that we're motivated by government. We're just pawns of politics. And so I figured, you know, he said to me, I would extend this to you, Saul. If the tables were reversed, I would let you live. And I thought, well, okay. And so I let him live. And Samuel grabbed Saul's sword and hacked him to pieces. But do you know something? That king wasn't the only one that Saul let live. Because if you continue to read on, at the end of Saul's life, Saul will die at the hands of an Amalekite. It will be an Amalekite that finishes him off. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm not talking about let's go out and terrorize the world and kill all the sinners. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if there's sin in our lives, we need to genocide the sin. That's called repentance. 
well, I, you know, I, I know I've got a little bit of a drinking problem and I'm going to cut back. No, kill it. Kill it. Well, you know, I used to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. Now I'm just down to a couple cigarettes. Kill it. It needs to die in your life. I can't overcome it. With God, all things are possible. God can give you the victory over addictions and over sins. And so he came along and he said, well, you know what, Saul? I got some really bad news for you. God didn't want you to make sacrifices. He wanted you to obey. And to obey, 1 Samuel 15, 22, to obey is better to sacrifice than to hearken to the fat of rams. And rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Wow. He's gone from just justifying his sin to becoming called and associated with witchcraft. That's how strongly God feels about obeying. That's why we began this message with building your house upon a rock. Whatever God says, that's what we do. And we do it according to his plan and his details. And we don't take any substitutes. We don't take tradition, philosophy, rudiments of this world, anything that's not after Christ, we're not interested in it. Not interested in it. Because the devil gets in the details. And he twists things around and justifies it in your mind and separates you and shames you before God. That's what he does. He specializes in that. And then there's David. David excites me. He's one of my favorite characters of the Bible. David made made lots of mistakes, folks. I just got to tell you. But he was always after God's own heart. Now, this is Brother Kylie's opinion, so if you want to disagree with me, don't give up on the whole message because of one point you don't agree with. But the Bible said that David was a man after God's own heart. I don't believe that that means he had the heart of God. I believe that meant he was in pursuit of the heart of God. He wanted to have the heart of God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy... He was in pursuit of God's affection, of God's feelings, of the way that God cared about people, truth. He wanted those values in his own life. And so when he made mistakes, and he made plenty of them, he repented. He confessed it. He did everything he could do to make it right. And here's one of those times where David made a huge mistake. One day, somebody came to him and planted the idea, and Satan uses people to, do you believe God uses people? I do. If God can use people, can Satan use people? See, we're the pawns here. We're the in-betweeners. And so one day, somebody comes to David and says, David, do you know how vast and how great your kingdom is? What a great king you are. Do you know how many people are in your kingdom? Well, no, I I don't know. Why don't you take a census? Why don't you figure out how many people are in your kingdom and actually are under your authority? Why don't you number your army, horsemen and warriors and 
archers and count it all up and see how great of a kingdom you have. David said, okay, let's do it. So he starts counting it all up and God is aware of this and God is upset with David. He said, David, you should know better than this. You fell into this trap that the enemy laid for you. Your strength is not in your numbers. Your strength is in me. There are nations that have greater numbers than you, but they're not greater than you because I am the God of Israel. Don't get caught up, folks, don't get caught up in the numbers. Uh, Maybe this is a good time to tell you this. Don't get caught up in mega churches. Well, this church over here has 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people. So what? Amway has conventions of 30,000. Doesn't make them a church. Just because you get people together, what does the term church mean anyway? Separated or called out ones. That's what the church is. Don't get caught up in the numbers. Jesus said that from the beginning. Wherever two or three are get two or three. That's enough. All I want is unity with the people that will be a part of what I want to do. And God was so angry with David that he brought judgment against him. And this judgment was severe on Israel. And finally, David said, they can't take anymore. So he goes to God and he says, God, will you please allow me to make a great sacrifice? Will you withhold your judgment at my sacrifice? And God said, I will. But David wasn't in Jerusalem. And he couldn't wait to get back to Jerusalem while the people were suffering. So he was passing by another king. And this king, Araunu, had a threshing floor. And he's going by, and and the king comes out and says, King David, good to see you. What can I do for you? I'm your servant. David said, well, he said, I need to make a sacrifice to God. Not a problem, Araunu says. Here, here's this big threshing floor that I have. You could make the sacrifice right on the threshing floor. And here, look at these big oxes I have. You could sacrifice these oxes. And and here's all the instruments that you would need to to, to make your sacrifice. I give them to you, David. I gracious. Here, just consider it a gift. David said, oh, no, you don't. He said, no, no, I can't do that, Araunu. See, I can't offer unto God that which cost me nothing. I will pay you full price or I will not sacrifice at all. And around he said, well, you're the king. If you want to pay for it, that's up to you. And he paid for it. I want to give you a little history lesson here today. This property that you drove onto today used to be a cornfield, kind of like Parkway used to be. Cornfield, 14 acres of corn. Sister Brown saw it one day with a sign out in front, made us aware of it. We prayed about it. We went and talked to the man that was selling it. He said, I want $205,000 for these 14 acres. We said, we don't need 14 acres. 
We'd like to divide it, just take a portion of it. He said, you buy it all or you don't buy it at all. He was very firm with me. And he said, I'm putting it out for bids. You get to make one bid, I'm taking the highest bid. And here's how God works. A man by the name of Richard Gazowski, he was a big name in Pentecost at the time, one of the great preachers we had. And, and he came by and he preached for us in Anna. On a Sunday morning, he preached about David and about the sacrifice. And Brother Gazowski said to the congregation, he said, always pay full price. And we heard that. And when we heard that and remembered what the other man had asked for, for the land, you know what we offered? $205,000. Because we were willing to pay full price. And he came back and he said, you guys got the land because you offered full price. There was another congregation that offered a few thousand dollars less. But I'm taking your bid because you offered full price. Let me say it to you real plain today. Don't let anybody else make your sacrifices for you. Well, you know, my tithes and my offerings or my giving to the heart for the house or my giving to a, a missionary, you know, Abundant Life will still make the payments, you know, and, and they can get along without my little bit. Somebody else will give a little bit more, but it'll all work out. You're falling into a very dangerous trap a trap that the devil has set for you to rob you of the blessings that God wants to put on your life. And you withhold, you're falling into the trap that David did not fall into. You know, I almost fell into this trap when I first became a pastor. We were a young congregation. We didn't have a lot of money. And, and we, we had a trustee board, and, and the trustee board brought up at a, at a business meeting. Well, you know, the pastor, we are a small church, but we need to learn from the beginning that we need to support the ministry, whether it's Rick Kiley or whoever the next pastor might be. We need to give something to the ministry. What can we afford? And one member of the board chimed in and said, well, pastor, why don't you just keep your tithes and just consider that your salary? I said, oh, no, you don't. My tithes don't belong to me. They belong to the Lord. I am no different than any of you. And I still am no different than any of you. I still need to be faithful in my giving. I still need to be, great. I still need to be faithful in my sacrifices, whatever they are. Well, what if somebody else does it? Doesn't matter. That's between them and God. But I'm not falling into the trap of holding back from God what God has asked of me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And you do. And unto God, what is God's? Well, what is God's? What does the scripture say? What are the details? What does God require of me? I'll give you another illustration. 
Do you remember an early church sacrifice that was made in Acts chapter 5? When the church had needs and the apostles said, hey, we have great needs and we want to make sure that everybody's taken care of. And people started selling their houses and their great possessions and they're bringing all this money and they're putting it at the apostles' feet, believing that the apostles will make proper distribution of the funds. And one couple comes in and Satan had spoke to them before they came to the apostles. You know, you got a lot of money for that land. Why don't you keep back part of it? You said you were going to give it all, but you don't have to give it all. Just, this is what God asked you to do, but you know, God will understand. And you know what, later on you can make it up. And The devil is in the details. He's always twisting and manipulating. And so the man holds back. And he appears before Peter, and, and I never saw this before, but this one particular time, Peter says, there's something wrong here. How much did you sell that property for? And how much are you bringing? Because I think there's a discrepancy in what you're saying versus what you're doing. Is anybody hearing me today? There is a discrepancy in what you're saying versus what you're doing. I'm pausing for effect. Boom, he falls over dead. Didn't, he obviously didn't get a chance to warn his wife. His wife comes in later. Peter says, hey, tell me what happened. She lies. She dies. If you lie, you die. And then you fry. It only gets worse. All because the devil twists the details. Don't let him twist the details in your life. Do you know the devil has tried to twist the details concerning salvation? I'm just going to preach what God told me to preach today. You know, it really doesn't matter how you're baptized as long as you're baptized. The devil's in the details. It doesn't matter if you're immersed or sprinkled. You're still getting baptized. It doesn't matter if you're baptized in the titles or in the name of Jesus. You're still getting baptized. Wrong. We need to do it God's way. We need to stay inside of the word of God. He's trying to steal from us. Man, if I were the devil, I could preach off of Paul Harvey today. If I were the devil, I'd try and convince everybody it doesn't matter. It does matter. Jesus said, except a man is born of the water and spirit, he can't see or enter the kingdom of God. He said, except you believe and are baptized, you can't be saved. Baptism means to immerse, dip, or plunge. I don't know where anybody ever got the idea that we could change it to sprinkling from immersion, but it has never been so according to the scripture. 
I don't know where anybody ever got the idea that we could use the titles of God instead of the name of God in baptism for the remission of sins. But from the beginning, it was never so. And it's still not so. Because neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He did not say, I offer you ways. I offer you truths. I offer you lives. Everything about God has always been one. This is not multiple choice. It's yes or no. It's obey or disobey. It's black or it's white. The devil's in the details, folks. Don't you buy it? Well, you know, you don't have to speak in tongues to receive the Holy Ghost. Who gave you the authority to make such a statement? When the scripture clearly declares that they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever and the promise is unto you and your children and those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Who are you? Who are you to distort or twist the truth? You add to this or you subtract from it, you'll suffer for it. You can read about it in Revelation. The plagues will be added and your name will be taken out of the book of life. Don't add or subtract one word from God's word. Just do it God's way. Now today I'm gonna quit here. I'm gonna quit with a testimony and it's gonna be a powerful testimony because I don't know who's here today and I don't know, you may be thinking that you're going through a really rough patch in your life, but I'm here today to tell you that Jesus is still the answer for the world today, amen. So I want you to hear this testimony. If you'd go ahead and play that, Bishop Archer. I was 10 years old and I held my mother's gun to my head and I wanted to blow my brains out all over her wall. You must ask the question, why would a 10-year-old child want to die? 10 is a time to dream of being an astronaut, of being a soccer star, a football player, a preacher, a pastor, a doctor. But for me, life was so horrific, with so much vitriol, and pain, I wanted to die. I'm the product of interracial immigrants. My grandmother was tall, white, and thin from Germany, and we called her French fry. My grandfather was a big, burly black man from Cuba, and we called him hamburger. Hamburger met French fry and created a happy meal. And these two immigrants produced seven McNuggets with special sauce. We would joke that we would have Wiener Schnitzel with salsa for Thanksgiving. My grandfather had to hide the fact in the 1940s in America that he was married to a Caucasian woman. But one wedding anniversary, he had a flaw. He liked to drink overproof Cuban rum. 
And one evening he was inebriated. And a man saw them together and said to my grandmother, why would you be a lover? My grandfather with huge arms lost his temper and hit the man in the jaw and broke his neck. The man didn't die, but he was injured severely. He went to the worst prison, convicted of the crime. Mansfield Reformatory in Ohio, locked down 23 hours a day. It hit the newspapers that my grandmother was married to this convicted felon and she lost her job. But being a German woman, she didn't complain or whine or woe is me. She began to work odd jobs, cleaning other people's houses and toilets, taking care of their children. But as she was working, she would have fainting spells, passing out doing her job. She went to the doctor and discovered that she had a tumor growing behind her left eye that was metastasizing to her brain. And the doctor said, we have to take out a third of your face, your eye. You will be malformed and disformed and disfigured for the rest of your life. What do you do when the American dream becomes an American nightmare? She could not work. She was sick and mutilated. My grandfather's in jail. And day by day, they lost everything that they had acquired. They lost their house, they lost their car, they lost their furniture, they lost their dignity, they lost their self-esteem, and they were living in the streets like animals. My three uncles got hooked on heroin. They belonged to a gang called the Devil's Disciple, and my entire family became atheistic. No God, no prayer, no Bible, no hope. And my mother, at age 14, was called by a pimp named Larry who said to her, what is school doing for you? You are sitting on a gold mine. She said, where? He said, you're sitting on it. And we call this being turned out. And little by little, she began to sell her 14-year-old body to grown men for money to survive. It's called turning tricks. And at age 16, she got pregnant. We call it having a trick baby. Two strangers meet for a business transaction, and there's a mistake. The pimp said, you can't make any money having a baby in the oven. We have got to kill this baby. They kicked her in the stomach. They fed her alcohol. They gave her drugs. They took a hanger and stabbed the baby over and over again. But the baby would not die. The baby was born two months premature with no pancreas, a learning disability, a bladder too small, unable to function, a severe stutterer. We call it a trick baby. Nobody wants the baby. No hope, no future. Kill it was the word. That baby was me. I'm the lowest of the low. I come from the guttermost. I come from a hellish condition. And so when I would go to school, I couldn't talk. I stuttered so severely from the trauma. My mother had a madam who hated men. Her name was Dolores, and she was a sadist. And when she would watch me, she would take a broomstick and stick it in a place where no boy should have any object in his body. And when you are tortured like that, you learn four things. Don't talk. Don't trust. Don't feel and pretend nothing is happening. And by age 10, I had had enough. 
I want it to die. And in my school, they put me in a boiler room with other kids who were dysfunctional like me, where we would finger paint all day long. And yet there was a teacher, thank God for her, who had a Gideon Bible. And she came to my school and she saw kids like me as her mission field. And she would give me this Gideon Bible and read to me stories of dysfunctional characters who God used. She would say to me, Ronaldo, God uses greatly those who have been wounded very deeply. He will turn your pain into power, your wounds into wisdom. She had me read the story of Moses, who was also a stutterer. I began to understand that God did love a trick baby, even as low as I was. There was hope for me and possibility. And when a child begins to understand the love of God and the power of his word and the possibilities, it changes everything. How can a young man Keep his way clean by taking heed according to your word. Your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. I began to memorize the Bible, that Gideon Bible, reading 2,000 scriptures. And when you put that kind of word in a life, something begins to happen. My stuttering went away. I stopped wetting the bed. I stood tall. I became valedictorian, became a pastor, and preached until everybody in my family got saved. Why? Because somebody placed the Gideon Bible in a woman's hand that changed a life forever. Yes! I was born a trick baby, but the trick was on the devil because of you and the power of the word of God. Let's stand together. Now your problems don't seem so big, do they? If God can do it for him, God can do it for you. We serve a great God. He is able to deliver us. We used to sing that song years ago, how great thou art. Is God great in your life today? We could have had you stand up and testify today. But if you haven't experienced what this man was talking about, you need a home Bible study. You need to be faithful to the house of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And God can grow you through this, save you, change you, and give you life and that more abundantly. And all it takes is you giving yourself to God and allowing the potter to make something out of the clay. Maybe you feel like you're part of the gutter most but he can turn your wounds into wisdom. He can turn your pain into power. Did you hear that? He can do for you if you'll just come to him and worship him. God bless you, this altar's open. How great thou art. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and we'll continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177.
or email us at info at AbundantLifeChurch.org.